0: Thanks, worship team, for leading us so powerfully this morning. Thanks, thanks for being here. Thank you uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, so good to dive into the truth of God's word, continue our series that we've been in over the last several weeks. Uh, for those of you that might be newer or maybe we just haven't connected yet, I'm Todd, one of the pastors as well here, and i uh, been looking forward to sharing this time together. I want to begin our time by asking you uh, an important question, and that question is, who do you want to be like? I wonder, as you ponder that question, maybe there's already somebody in your mind. Maybe you have a mentor. Maybe there's someone that you look up to. Uh, Let me introduce you to uh, one of my good friends and one of my mentors. His name is Dan Bishop, and this is his wife, Kathy. Uh, I first met Dan, uh, man, probably 20 years ago. My wife and I were serving at a, a camp conference center uh, where families would come in and spend a week of vacation and grow in their faith, and uh, Lisa and I, we were running the youth program, and uh, every night at the at the end of the day, out on the basketball courts, there'd be all these you know young college guys that were working at the conference center, and they'd be out there playing ball. And this one night. Uh, oftentimes people would come kind of gather and everybody would watch the game that night. Sometimes it'd be staff against, you know, students or whatever. And on this one particular night, there's all these young guys out there just running, playing, sweating. I wasn't one of them because I was not a basketball player. But in the midst of this game, I see this one guy that's running with them. And I mean, he, he was like an older guy, like, Forties? You know, I mean, it feels weird saying that now because I'm well, well into my forties. And, uh, but what what, what astounded me was the way this guy was running and hanging with all these college guys. And who was it? It was Dan Bishop. Now, I was kind of admiring his ability and skill. But then what I found out later struck me even more. Uh, in the course of the week, we were Lisa and I were running the youth program, and we had uh, three of his kids in the youth program. These are them as adults now. It's Josh on, the, on your left, and then Julie and Matt. And, and running this youth program, there were just some kids that just rose to the surface. They were just... And, and Josh and Matt and Julie were three of those. They just they just seemed to have a level head on their shoulders as young teenagers. Uh, they, they seemed to know what their purpose was. They they seemed confident in who they were. They, they were engaged and they were interested in learning about their faith and, yeah, have, doing the fun activities and all the events that we were doing over the course of that week. And they were just kind and respectful and... And then... Shortly after I saw Dan Bishop on the, on the basketball court, I realized that his sons were out there playing with him, Matt and Josh. And my first thought was I needed to go over to Dan and I had one question for him. You see, Lisa and I, we were newly married and we, we hadn't had a family yet, and yet we were looking down the road. And I was so struck by his kids. I remember going up to Dan, I introduced myself, and I said, Dan, I just need to know what's your secret? How did you raise such incredible kids? Now, if you want to know the answer to that question, you're going to have to come uh, to it. Uh, sorry, shameless plug, shameless plug. Now, if you really want to know, come ask me after the service. But actually, at the beginning of uh, next month, Lisa and I get to lead a, a parenting class. And I'm going to share some of the wisdom that Dan shared with me that has changed our lives. And I think it's, it's changed our kids' lives. You see, when I think about who I want to be like, I want to be like Dan. And it's not because of his basketball skills. It's because of what I saw in him initially and then what I continue to see in him over the years as he's been a mentor in my life about his faith, about the way that he treated his dear wife, Kathy, who just passed away in the last month because of cancer. And I got to watch him journey through that with hope, with faith. And I admired him for who he was and the kids that he was raising and has raised his character, his integrity, his faith. I wonder, who do you want to be like? I want to be like Dan because Dan, to me, looks a lot like Jesus. But I want to leave us with a second question. And this one is, is a little more introspective. And that question is, do people want to be like me? Do people want to be like you? And if probably if we were honest, maybe there's some days, maybe there's some you know, moments where we're like, yeah, I'd be a good model, example in that way. But if we're honest, there's other times in our life we're like, no, 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 <laughs> don't, don't model your life after me. That part of me, anyway, right? We're in this series that we've entitled Exhausted, and we're looking at some of the different factors that drain our lives, that suck the energy and life and purpose and real significance out of our lives. And one of the things that I think affects us is this great gap that we have sometimes in our lives between who we are and who we want to be, right? That creates exhaustion. You think about it, things like poor decisions, you think about things like giving in to temptation or compromising our character or starting to justify our sinful habits, and the, the gap gets wider and wider between who we want to be or who we want to be like and who we really are. And what does that lead to? It leads to one word, <laughs> exhaustion. I think about how this happened in the life of David. David uh, is known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, but that wasn't always the case. David had his, his flaws for sure. And if you know the story, David commits adultery with this woman named Bathsheba. And there's a psalm that many believe point back to that time period after David had fallen and failed and compromised. And look at what he writes in Psalm 32 verses 3 and 4. It says, "When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. He says, "Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy upon me and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat." What was David saying? He says, "When I refused to confess, when he when he kept quiet, when he refused to just come clean and be honest about what was really going on in his life and what he had done, when he he refused to talk about the gap between who he wanted to be and who he really was, every part of his being was affected. I mean, it seems like mentally, emotionally, even physically, he says, my strength evaporated. He was exhausted. And I think that's the thing that is draining some of our lives. It's this gap. And so how do we deal with that? I want to take us to a story in the Old Testament about a man named Daniel. Uh, Recently heard a, a powerful message from Andy Stanley about Daniel's life. And so we'll weave in a few of those thoughts along the way. But Daniel was a teenager at the time, and uh, he was an Israelite, which was uh, the, the nation that God had chosen to show his grace and favor to, to be a model to all the rest of the nation so that people would be drawn to the, to the one living God, the God of Israel. And in the midst of this time period when Daniel's alive, like I said, he's a young teenager, this wicked uh, Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar came in and invaded Israel in fact, <coughs> besieged the capital of Jerusalem. And that's kind of where we land in the story. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah, Judah's royal family and the other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Verse 4 Select only strong, healthy, Good-looking young men, he said, make sure they are all well-versed in every branch of learning, that they are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. He said, train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. And it says, the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens, They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Now, catch this Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men that were chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. So, this wicked Babylonian king comes in, takes over, but then, out of the people that he has taken captive, he says, Find some young men that are wise, sharp, good looking, healthy, strong. And and train them. I'm choosing them to be part, essentially, of my my royal court. You think about uh, this was a like golden ticket, wasn't it, for Daniel and his buddies? They're moving to the prominent city of Babylon. They've got incredible job security because I mean it's it's a government job, (laughs) a free education. Like, where has this been? I've got two girls at Indiana Wesleyan University, and man, we're paying. Uh, not to mention, they got to eat the same thing as the, as the king did. Like, I'm sold already, right? Right there, just, man, feed me, right? But what if I told you this wasn't such a good deal as we might think it was? Maybe it's not the golden ticket. Because look at what happens next in the story. It says, the chief of staff then renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Now, if you know the stories of the Old Testament, uh, there's where these guys come up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the guys that were thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, Daniel wasn't one of them at the time because of what happens next in the story. But they're renamed. Andy Stanley says this. He says, The problem is when you rename something, it is evidence that you now own the thing that you have renamed. And so the king, this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, was now their lord, their master, and their ultimate authority. So what that meant was that Daniel was going to be faced with a lot of tough decisions. Was he going to always only obey everything that the king wanted him to do when we know that this was a wicked king? He was faced with all kinds of situations where he could either be a person of integrity and character or whether he could make compromises. And the same thing happens to you and me. On a daily basis, we have a choice to be, become the people that we want to be or to widen the gap in our life. Think about it. Do I tell the truth or do I tell just a little white lie, especially if it doesn't hurt anyone? Or do I put up emotional boundaries with the opposite sex or do I just justify opening up to another person because, well, my needs aren't being met at home? Or do I stay quiet when others are gossiping about a coworker, Or do I just jump right in because of the coworkers' poor choices? Or do I say no to something that goes against my faith in Jesus? Or do I give in because I don't want others to view me as weird or the religious guy? See, all of us we're faced with daily decisions that will either Widen the gap or narrow it. Kerry Newhoff, one of my favorite uh, authors and podcaster, he says, a thousand little compromises leave you compromised. <laughs> he says, you may not have sold your soul to the devil, but you've rented it out to him. Wow. You see, in all of our lives, comp- uh, c- comparison can, tra- can trap us. Uh, Even though we might be very competent at the things that we do, at the end of the day, what makes a difference is our character. And when we let our character start to slip and we have to start hiding and justifying and lying, that becomes exhausting. So how do we... Beat that how do we how do we close the gap or erase it all together I love what it says in Daniel's story here in Daniel chapter one verse 8 and this is so important for us to pay attention to and lean into together it says but Daniel resolved not to defile himself Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, this would have been taking a huge risk. Like, you've just been brought in, you've just handpicked and chosen, and you're a captive, but now they're going to give you a prominent opportunity and position, and all of a sudden, Daniel's already making, essentially, demands or asking for you know, an escape clause from some of what everybody else was going to have to be doing. What what it says is that Daniel resolved, that word resolve means that he purposed, he made up his mind, he predetermined who he was going to be. And I think this is the number one secret to not living an exhausted life where the gap between uh, who we are and who we want to be continues to ever widen. It's to pre-decide. It's to purpose. It's to resolve, like resolve. I am not going to do this. I am not going to be that. I'm not going to let myself slip in these ways. And that's what Daniel determined to do. And it says that he determined or resolved not to, what, defile himself. That word defile means to pollute or desecrate, to make unclean. So maybe you're like me and you're like, well, man, what's, what's so bad about the king's food? <laughs> I mean, it was probably awesome food. Now, it was probably lavish food. It was probably super fattening food. Um, the issue that, David, uh, that Daniel, I think, had with the food was that m- much of that food was uh, food that the Israelite nation had been told to avoid. Some of it was for spiritual reasons. Some of it was for physical reasons literal health reasons. Uh, Some of the reason that Daniel wanted to refuse to eat at the eat of the king's table was because that was food that was sacrificed to idols. Not only that, what comes along with the the eating and the drinking of, of the king's stuff is all the other things that come along with it. It's a whole lifestyle that Daniel knew that he could get sucked into if he gave way in this one small way. The English Standard Version Study Bible puts it this way. says, Daniel and his friends, they avoided the luxurious diet of the king's table as a way of protecting themselves from being ensnared by the temptations of the Babylonian culture. With this restricted diet, they write, they continually reminded themselves in this time of testing that they were the people of God in a foreign land and that they were dependent for their food, indeed, for their very lives upon God, their creator, not on King Nebuchadnezzar. So significant. This is a game changer for us. If we want to live lives of integrity and character, it means predeciding, resolving, not to defile ourselves. And look at the result of this in Daniel's life. It says, Now now God had given the chief of staff staff both respect and affection for Daniel. And look at what happened. It says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officials. God shows Daniel favor because he resolved not to desecrate himself. It says, because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. (laughs) Daniel is rising to prominence, and it's not just because of his competency. Look at what it says next. Then the other administrators and the high officers, they began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. Look at this. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Wow. (laughs) Could you imagine if people could say those kinds of things about us? That that, that people couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. That we were always faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. That is something to chase after. That is something to resolve in our hearts. And I think this is what made Daniel so successful It's because he wasn't willing to compromise his character. I remember years ago, our founding pastor of the chapel, Bill Schroeder, said these words. He said this. He said, there is a wonderful freedom that comes in life when you have no secrets. Let me say that one more time. There is a wonderful freedom that comes in life when we have no secrets. Secrets. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back out and join us and they're going to lead us in a closing song in just a couple minutes. But as they come, I want every single one of us here to know that what was said about Daniel can be said about you and me. If, if we resolve to not pollute ourselves, if we commit Jesus and ask for his help in living a life that honors him, a life of integrity, a life of character, of character, so that at the end of the day we won't only be looking at other people to say, I want to be like him, but our lives will be the kind of lives that others will be saying, I want to be like her, I want to be like you. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, "Integrity is doing what you ought to, even if it costs you." So, as we close our services, I want to, I want to encourage us and challenge us because you could be like me, and you're sitting there, you're like, "Well, gosh, Todd, (laughs) what if I've already compromised? What if, what if I've got secrets?" What if I've really blown it? What if I've already messed things up? What if what if I, I'm I'm trying, but I keep flopping and failing? Remember the the psalm that I shared with you where David had had blown it, had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and and he begins the psalm And he says, when I kept silent, I was wasting away. When I refused to confess, he says, my strength was sapped. I want to share the end of that psalm with you. And in Psalm 32, verses 5 and 6, David says these words, but finally, finally I confessed. I confess all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt, David says. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And look at this, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Actually, David begins this psalm saying, oh, what joy. Oh, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of all guilt. Oh, what joy for those that know real forgiveness. And here's the thing. No matter how wide the gap between who we are and who we long to become, Jesus, Jesus is big enough to bring the gap together, to close the gap in our lives Listen, integrity and character, it's not being perfect. But it is being honest about where we are and where we long to be. And then coming clean before Jesus when we have blown it, so that he can make us more and more like him. That's why David finishes this in verse 6, and he says, Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they might not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. David's giving us an invitation, and he's giving us a challenge. Let the godly pray to you while there is still time, and there is still time. As we sing this song, let's just use it to do whatever we need to do, to, to pray, to confess, to weep, to mourn, to be refreshed. To experience God's grace and forgiveness. Once again, let's sing to Him.